So I want to begin by inviting us to dedicate our time together this morning uh, to all who are suffering. Uh, we especially recognize the Dakota and Anishinaabe peoples whose descendants are still here and whose lands we occupy. Let us also offer our deep gratitude to our Indian, Chinese, and Japanese spiritual ancestors for all they've given us and for the chance to practice here today. Let us also stand with the Black community who has suffered in the loss of the Rondo neighborhood where we're located. We are all connected. May we work together for the liberation of all beings. So a uh, good morning to everyone here and everyone on Zoom. I, I listen to the podcast when I can't come. So good morning, all our podcast listeners throughout space and time. A while ago, uh, someone sent a message to Sosa that said, I would like to request that clouds offer guidance on how to use our Buddhist practice to have compassion and to feel the suffering of others instead of just going numb to get through the news cycle. Listening sessions, Dharma talks, and other ideas would be deeply appreciated. Just knowing my community is willing to talk openly is worth a lot. Otherwise, I have been feeling alone. And like everyone, would rather avoid this until it's no longer in the news. So Sosan sent this out to all the teachers, said, FYI. And I was very moved by this question because this is the kind of question I pretty much ask every day of my life that I go through my, my day. But the answer I'm going to give this morning, I want to be clear, it's not the only way one could answer this question or address this question. And it's not even the way that I maybe would have given three weeks ago uh, before I attended the Jukai ceremony in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. So I want to talk about this morning how uh, ceremony and especially how the ceremonies of our Zen practice support us as we figure out how to be compassionate beings in the world. Uh, in the past, I'm not sure that I really saw that connection so clearly. I maybe sometimes even thought of ceremonies as a break from everyday reality. Like, we're going to go do this special thing that's really different, that's kind of a vacation. And that's fine. We need that too. So I'm not saying that's a problem. But I'm also saying because of my experience a couple weeks ago, um, I'm thinking about it a little bit differently and I wanted to share that today. I wanted to begin with a quote from the teacher Zenju Earthland Manual that I feel like really points to this. Uh, she says, Buddhism arose from the flames of suffering among the people of India. It emerged from the suffering Buddha saw among his Shakya people the poor, the aged, those dying from neglect, and all those he felt needed the kind of liberation he discovered. It's important to remember that ritual and ceremony arose in Buddhism because it was the way an ancient people attended to their suffering. So she's 
Maybe I could just like close my papers and, but I'm supposed to talk for more than two minutes, but I feel like that quote, it really, it really touched something in me and uh, to really not forget where this all came from. So in mid-November, a couple weeks ago, uh, you've maybe heard this already a little bit, but Sosan Mion Usin Carol and I traveled to Los Angeles for the 100th anniversary celebration of Soto Zen in America. It's really auspicious. I felt amazed that I got to be there and very grateful to Clouds for paying my registration. So that helped me be able to go. So the first thing that the Japanese immigrants who created the first Soto Zen temple in Los Angeles, the first thing they did was hold a Jukai ceremony. And that's a ceremony of receiving precepts or uh, ethical teachings. And it's a five-day ceremony. So at Clouds, we have a maybe two-hour ceremony. So this is five days. But it's sort of the same thing, just for five days. My understanding is that in Japan, the ceremony is done once in a generation at each at a particular temple. You would maybe do this once every 25, 30 years. Um, and there's specialists from a Heiji monastery. My understanding is some of who came to LA to help us, but also who would like maybe go out and help do this because it's kind of a thing. It's a there's a lot, and the hope is that everyone could do this once during their lifetime. So now, Sosan has a vow to make this possible here in the Midwest, and I hope I can help with that because I feel like I got to do do this in my lifetime, but I want everyone to have that opportunity. Everyone is welcome. You don't have to have received the precepts before. You don't have to have practiced in a particular way. It's a totally open door. Anyone can go through the ceremony. And you can receive the precepts again, even if you've already received them once or twice or 18 times. It's not like there's a, a limit. You can keep receiving these wonderful teachings. So that was a great, um, a wonderful feeling of all of us together. Uh, I had no idea what this was when I said I would go, but my feeling of wanting to go was that there has been a, a deep, sometimes deep, uh, separation within Soto Zen in this country between our founders and some of us who practice now, and I wanted to help heal that, bring that together uh, by coming to this temple and really honoring uh, the folks, the Japanese immigrants who came, who made this happen for themselves, who persevered over time through great suffering, uh, discrimination, racism. Uh, and uh, the, in this ceremony was this wonderful mix of uh, Japanese, non-Japanese, uh, Japanese people came from Japan to help and also who live here it was this uh, really wonderful blending of all of us together. So um, basically during the week, there was a lot of ceremony. It was almost all ceremony, almost no sitting meditation, just a tiny bit in the morning. Let's sit for a few minutes, okay? <laughs> and then we would go into these ceremonies. Um, and then we had some Dharma talks about the precepts and then more ceremonies. Um, so it was really, 
a chance uh, to really um, teach our bodies and minds uh, about being in ceremony in kind of a extended way. So at Clouds and Water, we also do a lot of ceremonies. And when I stopped to think about it, it was a long list. So we do priest ordinations. We just did one, you know, a couple weeks ago. We do precept receiving ceremonies here every two years. We do Shuso ceremonies fairly often, which is another step in priest or lay teacher training. We celebrate Buddha's Enlightenment Day and birthday every year. We do ceremonies for the opening and closing of practice periods. We do a precepts recitation ceremony with our children every other Sunday and once a month for the community. Four mornings a week, we do a ceremony at the end of morning zazen and also on Wednesday evenings. And we chant at noon sittings. And during these ceremonies, we make offerings, we chant, we engage in activities like bowing or processing, pouring water on the Buddha, and then in Zen, we also take ordinary activities like giving a talk or eating a meal and make it into a ceremony. So we have like ceremonies we sort of set up and say, this is a ceremony, but then we ceremonialize some of our ordinary activity. So as I was thinking about this, I, I wanted to touch on four um, truths that I think this attention to ceremony is designed to teach us. So the first is that repentance helps us align with our wholeness. The second is that we have the support of Buddhas and ancestors. Um, the third that is that we're all in this together. We're all together. And the last is that uh, beauty, awe, and wonder nourish and teach us. So I wanted to start by talking about repentance. So many of our Zen ceremonies and services offer us the opportunity to chant something called the verse of formless repentance. And if you haven't heard it, it it's uh, all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate and delusion. Here comes the fan. Born of my body, speech and mind, I now fully about. So this is many Dharma talks in that uh, statement, but I'm going to be brief and just say that um, the founder of Soto Zen, Dogen Zenji, claims that repentance like this melts away the roots of our transgression. He says, this is the pure and simple color of true practice of the true mind of faith, of the true body of faith. This is kind of it. So for me, one way I think about this is uh, reciting this verse or undertaking even a longer ceremony of repentance like we did um, in Los Angeles is a way of not holding myself apart from the suffering of the world and especially not separating myself from the people who cause the suffering. Because we say all our, all our ancient or we can say my, all my ancient twisted karma, but I always think of it as our, um, from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. You know, it's, it's beyond just 
the unkind way I talked to my wife this morning before I left the house. I didn't this morning, but just saying, we often, she was sleeping. But I often chant this in the morning, right? And so sometimes already by 7 a.m., I may have stepped outside the precepts a little bit. So it's, it's taking that narrow understanding and just, you know. So it keeps me from separating myself. It allows me to align with my essential wholeness and the essential wholeness of the world. And it softens my heart and connects me to compassion, which was the question on the table today, right? Particularly compassion for people I would like to demonize, like people I disagree with politically, let's just say. It helps, right? We're all in this with our ancient twisted karma. Karma might look a little different for me or for you or whatever, depending on our location. You know, it's in this society in particular, I think about that, but we're all in this ancient twisted karma. So this chant is always accompanied by at least one bow, which is a way to bring our alignment, our body into alignment with what we just said and acknowledge the truth of the harm caused by beginningless belief, hate, and delusion. So maybe my next Dharma talk, I will talk about um, something that one of our speakers said, which is we also need our greed, hate, and delusion to wake up. So I'm not even dissing greed, hate, and delusion, but I'm just saying we bring ourselves into alignment with the truth of this. Okay. The second thing that I really touch in ceremony is that we have the support of all Buddhas and ancestors. And this is what I thought about. I thought, well, this is a little hard to talk about. Um, uh, at most of our formal ceremonies here, uh, we invoke a list of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Um, in our morning services, we recite our entire, well, when we do a full service, we recite our entire lineage of 83 ancestors along with women ancestors who have been excluded from that list. It takes, takes some minutes. You're not the same person at the end of reciting that that you were at the beginning. It takes that long. I think that this might be a part of Zen ceremonies. That seems odd uh, to those of us that weren't fortunate enough to be raised in a tradition or a culture that venerates ancestors, or if we've been acculturated uh, kind of into our hyper-materialist way of viewing the world that limits reality to what we can weigh and measure and quantify. So I think my recommendation would be just say them, just do it, because it can't hurt. <laughs> you know, it can't hurt, right? Even if you're doing this, you think, really, I don't believe that there's beings in this room that I can't see and touch and taste and feel and you know, that's okay. You could just think of it as calling on the energy of goodness, you know, that's existed in the world uh, throughout time. And then you can see what happens if you keep doing it, uh, what kind of a practice that is. But for me, opening up an awareness of uh, uh, transcendence and of um, a world that I'm not always uh, 
approaching in a in a, a materialistic or a, a concrete way is very sustaining. It's been very sustaining to me for a long time. It's very sustaining in ceremony, and it's very sustaining when I try to consider a question like, how do I stay compassionate in the face of our world? So that this, this is just an invitation to consider engaging uh, in requesting the support and calling on the support of all Buddhists and ancestors. I'm just going to tell you, in this ceremony in LA, we called them all in and we sent them all out at the end. And I think we all could feel the coming and going. It was really great. So we get to do that here. The third thing about ceremony uh, is that we're all in this together. So these ceremonies we do collectively. I mean, I do, like in the morning, I do my own little service at home when I'm not here, just most of the time these days. Um, and that's also fine because we're not really ever by ourselves. But also, doing ceremonies together helps us understand that uh, we're not uh, separate. And I know for myself, if I think I'm the ocean, I'm going to hold the suffering of the world, it's crushing. I can't do it. I can't, like who can even read the news and then even take it in? I mean, maybe you can, but I can't. And I think that's what the question was speaking to, just that sense of like numb, you know, just being numb or just shutting down. And I'm not talking about like time to rest, but that's not shutting down, that's just resting. But, but that shutting down feeling comes for me when I'm feeling separated. So uh, doing ceremony together, our bodies are actually enacting uh, connection as we go through the ceremony. So for instance, in Los Angeles, we did a, a simple chant. We learned a simple chant uh, that we just did all the time, thousands of times maybe in the whole week. Um, when we were waiting for something, when we were walking from point A to point B, you know, so, and between things, just kind of all the time we would chant this. It was, um, I think I can do it here. Homage to the Buddhas of the three times, etc. The three times this past, present, future, of course. And, um, after a while, you know, the building kind of did this to the chat, you know, we've been doing it a lot. But that's, that's the idea, right? Where you're just um, all together. So it kind of doesn't even matter what the thing is, like we were doing this chant, could have been a different chant, could have been a dance, you know, depends where we are and who we're with. But those things that are the all together, your body's all together, everybody's doing the same thing. And what I noticed is that, you know, if I my mind was wandering or I was hungry or I was tired, which all those things happen a lot in five days, uh, it was long days, um, somebody else was not that way. Maybe next to me, I'd notice, oh, she's chanting with a lot of energy or I'd hear a voice would sort of pop out from the back, you know, of someone. And so we were all together and kind of Boying each other up. Um, and that's how it is, you know, when we're making change. Like, 
maybe today's my day to step forward and then maybe tomorrow's my day to step back. But I know somebody else is stepping forward. Um, we can speak sometimes, we can stay silent sometimes, but it's a collective activity. It's not me trying to uh, fix things or make the world a different place. It's all together. So ceremony, like you just get that in your bones, that truth. Okay, there's more. There's <laughs> one more thing I thought of. There's probably a lot more things. These are just the things I thought of. Um, in Zen, our ceremonies are really beautiful. Maybe all ceremonies and all faith traditions are beautiful. But in Zen, we really pay attention to the details and it makes it really beautiful. And I experience that as deeply nourishing. My day-to-day -day world isn't so beautiful. I mean, it is if I look, but on the surface, right? Like we've created a built environment that's a lot of concrete and sharp edges and the snow turns dirty after a while in the winter. It can feel kind of, to me, like, ugh. Computer screens, I don't find super nourishing. That's how I spend my work day. Um, so ceremony, we make it beautiful. We decorate our altars. We have beautiful statues and images. We make things symmetrical. We move with dignity and purpose. And then at this Jukaye, everything was like stepped up to the 10th level. So the officiants and the ceremonies wore these um, brocaded ocasas. Just, you know, gorgeous, beautiful. You see them and something in your heart kind of goes, oh, right? And then um, the hall was decorated with red cloth all around, like uh, from the ceiling, um, lining the walls. Um, the offerings took, I think we were trying to count, I think it was six or maybe eight Jesus making offerings. So we usually have one. <laughs> It was like, hand it up, bow, 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 bow. Do the thing, hand it back, goes up really, the altar is like stacked up, you know, way high. Um, it was a thing. It took just to offer like one thing. It was like maybe a minute. And there was maybe six things to offer. So, you know, it was like that. Very beautiful, choreographed, um, incense, like clouds. And we sang, which that's coming, but we did sing too. So why do we do all that? I think it helps us to imagine the world as it could be. So I would sit there and think the world could be this. The world is this in this room and the world could be like this. And if we can't imagine how the world could be, how can we stand it as it is, I think? I mean, we have to accept it as it is fully, but I also need that place where I can imagine the world could be that beautiful, everything that beautiful. And then sometimes I start to see it is that beautiful, actually, right? So that's why I think we make our rituals beautiful. I mean, just for themselves, it's nice, right? But also, it really helps me at least imagine the world as it could be and remember the beauty of the world. So I'm not just talking about this whole business about ceremony and how it helps us be in the world in an abstract way. 
because of something that happened at the very end on Sunday morning when we were in Los Angeles. So Sunday morning was um, after we had gone through the ceremony of repentance and after we had formally received the precepts, then we had, there's more, another five hours of ceremony and question and answer and with the with the head uh, officiant and Roshi and then a couple more ceremonies and you know it was still more uh, so I came in and I had become friends during the week with the two women sitting right to my left and it so happened that um, we're all members of the LGBTQ community in in different ways and um, on the last morning when I came in, my, my new friend sitting next to me leaned over and said, there's been a shooting in Colorado. And um, when I'm at retreats or something like a Jukai, uh, I turn off my notifications. I'm not on my phone except to text home a little bit. So I had no idea about the news or what had happened in Colorado Springs. So um, the news about that landed into this uh, last half day of ceremonies. And for me, uh, I'm old enough to remember living in a town when I first came out as a young person where a bar just like that was the only safe place that we had. And uh, I know what that's like. I know what that's like in a town probably like Colorado Springs, even today. So when I was coming out in the 80s, I mean, there was nothing. That was it. Even today, though, it serves a special a place. It's not, it's not like a bar, like it's, it's a different thing. It's more of a community set, really. So anyway, my friend and I and the other woman, we just sat and held hands uh, during the ceremonies and cried. And I don't know what else to say except receiving this news inside the container of this ceremony didn't make it hurt any less. It's not like it made it easy. Like, oh, well, thankfully, I'm at a Jukai, so it doesn't really bother me. So like that it was really painful. Uh, but I don't think that's the point either, because that would be escapism, and that's not what I'm talking about. But as I sat there holding my friend's hand, I was really touched by realizing that in a world that's overflowing with violence, and hatred. Here we are in this gathering of repentance and veneration and love and wonder. And I just told myself, this is also happening in the world right now. This is happening. I had to open my heart to hold all of it. It's all happening. And this is happening, this beautiful, Thing that I am blessed to be in the middle of. So to me, ceremony does, in that way, it viscerally connected with the suffering in the world and the suffering in my own self. But also, in a bigger way, uh, it just was so clear to me how ceremony has the possibility of sustaining and supporting us in a really deep and real way. So that's, uh, that's my talk, but uh, before we have some conversation, I want to share a little jewel from the week. Um, mm -hmm. So 
there is singing in Zen. Which I knew because I've encountered this a little bit before, but we did a little of it during the week. So there, um, I won't go in a way into the whole thing, but basically after, I think in the 50s in Japan, um, there developed a form for lay people to sing Dharma teachings. And they write these songs and then they have these little instruments and they have groups that come together and sing. Maybe like little choirs at Zen temples. And they have them in the United States at Japanese Zen temples. There's a few non-Japanese that know how to do this and have brought it back to, but um, it's not that commonly done in convert, mostly convert sanas like ours. But I'm not going to teach all this today, but I just wanted to sing it for you. But then maybe someday we'll be able to sing it together. Um, so this is a hymn to the three treasures. Um, and here's what the words mean. The Buddha illuminates the darkness of our minds. All who aspire to the sacred vow of Buddha should recite and take refuge in the Buddha. The Dharma guides us to pure blessedness by transcending the waves of the suffering world. All those who wish to board the vessel of Dharma should recite and take refuge in Dharma. The Sangha transmits the way to reach the shore of enlightenment. All those who wish to be part of Sangha should recite I take refuge in Sangha. So beautiful. So I'm going to sing this in Japanese because that's the language they're written in, but that's what it means. So I would invite you to just, you can just close your eyes, you can just receive this. It's my little gift to you from LA. And I apologize for not formally chanting the introduction. I'm working on learning that from a recording, but it's really complicated. So I'm not going to do that part. That's real world. <laughs> I always sneeze like 15 times too. So um, that's the beauty of this though. Um, we were really invited that in this singing, it's not about uh, singing in a beautiful way. It's about singing with the voice you have. So you don't have to be any particular way when you sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. That's the first verse. Maybe that's the only verse you're going to get. But that's uh, to the Buddha. That's it. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and not be sneezing. Mm. It's the dry air and trying to sing. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry for the bad ending, but that that's a little bit of how this song goes. So I hope you can touch a little... Uh, of the beauty of that song, and uh, we sang that over and over together. Um, there's someone that leads. So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to bring a little bit of bica uh, to clouds and water. All right, well, uh, we have a little time, and I want to save time for comments uh, about ceremony or anything you'd like to talk about. You just want me to sing the rest, right? <laughs> I can do it if I stop sneezing. Yeah, hello. So I'll just add that um, I was also in Hawaii, Um And one thing that uh, the master of ceremonies um, instructed us before one of the one of the kind of first ceremonies, the long uh, or the first ceremony that was like seemed particular to Jukai, which was the repentance ceremony. And he said, I invite you to receive and participate in this ceremony, not as a metaphor for being cleansed mm -hmm. of your ancient twisted karma, but actually to the, to see it as it's really happening and so you know there's a certain kind of way in which i don't know what that means <laughs> like i can use my intellect to see it as a metaphor but if i'm inviting myself to to um that it's actually happening then don't there isn't a way my mind can get a handle on that so it's just like sort of stepping forward with faith and having that invitation be there and I just felt like that invitation was so important and I still don't know like if you know like well, what did I do differently that I could have it be like that I don't know did I succeed I don't know <laughs> it doesn't matter but I just so appreciated that invitation and I'm thinking that I would like to you know, find different ways that we can extend that invitation here when we do various ceremonies. Right. Yeah, I remember that very clearly. Um, and he also said, it's not like you're playing with a dollhouse and moving like oh. figures around. That's not what we're doing in our ceremonies. Our bodies and minds are actually doing a thing. It's like a thing that's actually happening and we're doing. Yeah. Um, so that reminds me of... Um, uh, growing up Catholic, when we learned about the sacraments, and the sacraments uh, were taught to me as like efficacious signs. So they're things that actually affect what they symbolize. Mm -hmm. It sounds like, so those kind of like the ultimate and conventional layers of reality sit on top of one yes. another in that ceremony. I want to be sure everyone on Zoom heard that. So Zach said the ultimate and conventional layers of reality sit on top of each other in ceremony. That's beautiful. That is exactly my experience. I think that is exactly what we're doing. Great. Mia Ong has oh. her hand up. Yes. 
and I will mute us for a second. Okay. Muted now, so we but you're beaming, but you're muted. Your own, you're, yeah. We love watching your happy sorry. face. I'm sorry. Good morning. I'm so sorry I'm not there. I had a flat tire on my car. Otherwise, I would be with you in person. But so when we were doing these chants, uh, you know, homage to the Buddha of the three times, or when we were chanting or uh, singing Baika, it was like those things were filling in the space, uh, uh, the transitions. And so when we were filling those spaces, there wasn't room for our minds to wander to other things that we kept coming back to taking homage in the Buddhas of the three times or in singing while they were resetting the stage, so to speak. And so I really feel like even now, my mind keeps going back to homage to the Buddha of the three times. And I think those things are like a perpetual prayer that we can always be keeping in mind. And so that help that it's helping me to not go into the hinterlands with my thoughts. And I feel like it's an amazing practice. And perhaps we all can find a phrase or something that gives us recollection of our true selves to stay with. And I just, it, it uh, really has affected me profoundly. And I, I offer it to all of us. So that's a practice we might want to consider ways we might incorporate some of the things that we do, because I also had that experience. I think there's a... Kisa yeah, there's, has a question. Yeah. So what it says is fantastic. We muted for a second. Fantastic singing brings the magic to us. Do you think removing ceremony from Zen to make things more accessible to people creates a loss for spiritual community? I I would like to make ceremony more accessible for people. And I think like one of the things we do, for example, during our uh, precepts receiving Jukai ceremonies, we have a narrator who explains what's happening so people can engage because that ceremony in particular, we have a lot of people who um, aren't from here, uh, who don't practice their friends and family. Um, I also remember um, at my, um, we did a memorial service for my mother and I had some friends come who weren't, it was small, but I had some friends come who weren't from here. And a couple of them said just the bell, like we just invited the bell for like five minutes, kind of slow, really touched them. They'd never heard anything like that. So I guess I would almost, I have just so many thoughts, but I would, <laughs> I would almost say, you know, how the question for me is how do we make ceremony accessible to people? Not how do we create a Zen that's accessible that loses ceremony, if that makes sense. Um, and then I have some thought rambling around about 
uh, honoring the roots of our Soto Zen tradition, the roots and the living the livingness that's happening right now of Soto Zen more in its fullness feels important to me. And so thinking we can kind of pick and choose and just, well, I'll just take this piece of it, but I'm not that interested in the other pieces feels a little off somehow. But I want to think about that some more, but that came up for me during the week in some ways. We have a question on Zoom. Yeah, sure. Okay, hold on. Do you know, hey. Hi. You're muted. Oh, can you hear me now? Okay. Thank you so much for um, your talk and the singing was amazing. I really enjoyed that. And I thought you sounded very beautiful. Um, and I just wanted to share something um, specifically like the youth precept ceremony lately that we've been doing. It's like, I find myself really dreading it and like having a really hard time connecting to it. I think especially cause it's like crammed into the end of the service. And I noticed like a lot of people leaving on Zoom during that time. And I also do <laughs> because for some reason I'm just not connecting to it. And I think sometimes I do with our ceremonies and sometimes I don't. And so I just wanted to share that because that's something that I'm practicing with. And I think hearing your perspective about learning the, even like learning what the language means and learning the history of it and seeing kind of the significance of it, I think that probably helps one connect to the meaning and the kind of spiritual practice of it. But I think sometimes as a person who doesn't speak Japanese or feels kind of like uh, confused about what's going on or why we're doing it or how we're connecting that to our kind of spiritual practice. Um, that's something I'm practicing with. So I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Um, I think uh, that kind of speaks to my comment right before about making ceremony accessible, right? And um, also, I think it's hard on Zoom uh, because, like I said, a lot of ceremony is being together with our bodies and voices. And, you know, if you're just home on Zoom, my experience is I can do it, but it doesn't feel quite the same, right? So uh, I want to put a little plug in for next week <laughs> is uh, our annual Rohatsu ceremony. Uh, so we have a shorter Dharma talk. And if you can come, I know some people can't, and I'm really glad we have Zoom for that. That's great. So, But if you can, that would be the time. <laughs> Because we'll all be together. Can I, can you guys still hear me? Okay. Thank you for your response. So I also experienced this when I was in person. So I just wanted to add that. It sometimes happens also when I'm in person. Um, that feeling of just like, oh, no, not this. Or like, oh, God, we have to do this right now. I'm just trying to share that because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's had that. And sometimes I really connect deeply to the ceremony, so I want to hold both, but I just wanted to share that one last thing. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. That's great because you're right. I'm sure it's shared, which is one of the reasons I wanted to give this talk to kind of open up a window, for, especially for people that may sometimes feel that. Uh, I guess I would say um, kind of what I said during the talk a little bit, which is 
uh, at least in our tradition, it's fine to come as you are to ceremony. Um, it's fine to, like, I'm not going to say during the whole five days, every single moment, I was completely enraptured with what was going on. You know, I mean, it was long, like sometimes it was six o'clock and the program's this thick. There is literally like, sometimes you're bowing and like the echo goes on for five minutes. You know, the stuff they say after the chat, like sometimes we think we do a long one and it's maybe 30 seconds, seriously, five minutes. You know, you're like the thought does arise. Could you please be done? Because <laughs> I'd really like to get back up. Um, and that's fine, you know? It's just being a human being. Like, it's not a problem. And I would still encourage us to put our bodies and minds into ceremony when we have the opportunity. Because we don't even understand. It's like zazen, right? We don't know what's going on. Sometimes we sit down, mind wanders, we get back up, we don't know what happened. I'm not going to say that was bad. Oh, I did a bit. I don't know. I don't know what just happened. We don't know. It's okay. So I would say, even if you come to the Rohatsu ceremony in the past and thought, I feel dumb throwing these flowers. Please come and throw flowers. It's beautiful. It doesn't do any harm. Maybe you're helping someone else who's really into it, and they're really happy there's someone next to them throwing flowers. So it's really, I just, I don't want to come across saying you have to be a certain way. And I have to say this, Jukai really had that feeling from the first moment, like, Everyone is welcome, and it's just fine how you are and how it is. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, sorry. No, this, is, this is the perfect ending. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miyoshin.